just some of them who would be excited about this. So, uh, so our guest this evening, Andrew Johnson, was the 17th president of the United States, impeached for his crimes against the republic. No, that's not right. So Andrew Johnson is a Minneapolis City Council member, first elected in 2013. Uh, he represents Ward 12, where I used to live, which is a lot of southeastern Minnesota, all of just Minneapolis. Uh, he has served on the council since 20, since uh, being elected. He is the youngest council member right now, the first millennial ever elected to the Minneapolis City Council. Uh, before that, he was the executive director of the Longfellow Neighborhood Association, Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for council member Andrew Johnson. This is your better side. It's good that you. It's good that you have sides. Good. Um, I'm sure that that's nice. So, um, so thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Terry. Very coming out of your ward, which is very brave. So, uh, so I so I wanted to start by asking uh, you ran uh, for city council. It's only 28. We talked about this a little bit backstage. Yes. And yes. what what drives a 28 year old to run for city council? Who do you think you are? I think it's naivete. Uh, so no, I was just really really passionate about doing community work. Before that, I had been really interested in national politics, but you get really cynical just watching. <laughs> Kind of both sides fight about things and uh, was able to get involved at a community-based level and actually see transformation in the community, seeing vacant spaces where we were able to attract new businesses and such. And that's what really got me excited. And I said, why aren't I doing this full time? And so what was then the, the switch to turn from that very local sort of neighborhood level up to wanting to be on city? Were there, were there particular issues? Was it uh, wanting to have a larger impact? And, uh, give us a little bit more of your motivation. Sure. You know, just through my work with Longfellow Community Council, I really saw uh, multiple council members and their different approaches. I happen to really like Cam Gordon. I thought he was a particularly good example of somebody who's very involved, engaged, uh, constantly at our meetings, constantly working on issues in the ward. And I said, it seems like there's an opportunity for Ward 12 to be as active and as engaged. And uh, I certainly was doing that through Longfellow Community Council and just said, Look, if I was able to take the leap, even though I probably won't win, if I take the leap. <laughs> is this what you said to people when you went door knocking? Yes, Listen, I, I'm probably I'm, not going to win, but if I could have your vote anyway, I mean, you've got to throw it away shot. on something. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm the tallest candidate, and that That's counts. True. true. That was true. And it's, you are the ta- are you the tallest city council person ever? Yes. Uh, I don't know about ever. I'm going to say ever. Um, so let's just put the sure. – can somebody get that on Wikipedia, please? Uh, anyone who's tweeting right now? Uh, so how much does it matter that you – uh, were as young as you were when you were elected, and the fact that you are the first millennial on the city council does that does that make a difference? Does that show up in your daily work? I mean, I think it's important to bring perspectives of a different generation to yeah. the council. So certainly, technology is a big thing. Um, being a millennial, uh, complete self indulgence uh, is another. But yeah, no, I, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening yeah. to you. Uh, <laughs> it, it, is it a thing where other council members, maybe some of the older council members, come to you and they're like, "How does this email thing work?" Uh, I've only can had to do fix tech my support, iPhone. Tech support a couple of times. Yes, it's, I'm not kidding about that. So, um, but no, I think that it's you know, it, certainly people I think respect 
me and my age too. So that's good, right? That is good. Um, occasionally you might have somebody that uh, thinks you are inexperienced or because you're young, maybe you, you uh, don't know how to properly conduct yourself, but... <laughs> Well, I, it, that's, that's something that's okay. you figure out when you turn 30, apparently. Like, Absolutely. And uh, below that, it's impossible, basically. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Ward 12. I, I did mention I used to live there, uh, and I loved uh, Longfellow and living there. I always found it's a little, it's a little sleepy. It's, a little, it's like sort of a hidden pocket of Minneapolis that I feel like yeah. it doesn't get a lot of the sort of uh, headlines or, or news in some ways that other people, for better and worse, probably. No, that's true. Uh, but as much as we think of Minneapolis as a hidden gem within the nation, I think of uh, Longfellow, I think of uh, Ward 12 as a hidden gem within the city. So it's a gem within a gem. It's a gem within a I gem. I don't know what that is. And it's I don't like know a what Twinkie the next gem. level down is, but then there's like, uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's like those Russian dolls. Yeah, exactly. Them open. Um, but it's just a quiet neighborhood, yet you're close to downtown, to the river, to the light rail. So you've got this great family, quiet, uh, small town feel right in the middle of the city. And you're surrounded by nature, tons of great local businesses, uh, transit options. It's perfect. So tell us, what are the things then that your constituents get uh, most, they're most passionate about in Ward 12? What are the, um, what are the hot button things in Ward 12 right now? Uh, airport noise. Parking in front of other people's homes. That's uh, that's actually one that Airports people get. Airports and parking. People Not get really passionate about Like no, if no, somebody no. parked their plane in front of yes. somebody's house, that would be yes. end game It would times. be bad. No, I think the most amazing thing from my perspective is parking is probably the issue that people get most passionate about. But aside from that, I mean, being serious on, on Ward 12 issues, it's certainly airplane noise, attracting more restaurants and businesses, and just generally good city service. So... Uh, how much do you feel like, as a city council member, you can, uh, you can address those things? So I imagine if it comes to a particular parking ordinance, you know, you can do something about that. But if it's trying to attract businesses, do you pick up the phone and you're like, hey, uh, Luigi, open your Mexican restaurant here. I'm trying to, like, be very multicultural. Uh, yes, so... That's, that's totally right. So I, uh, to give you an example, when it comes to businesses, I read a Biz Journal article about a uh, restaurant downtown that was being forced out of their space because their building is being redeveloped into a luxury apartment building. And so I picked up the phone the day the article came out. I called around until I got the uh, owner's contact information. I said, have I got a space for you? You got to check this out. We got a vacant space right on light rail. You're going to love it. Please come. Let's go there tomorrow. And so he ended up coming down the next day. I had printed out, uh, I had taken data, which I'm sure we'll talk about, overlaid it on a map showing his current competition, uh, all the business licenses for serving uh, alcohol and for restaurants uh, in his current location versus this location. Then I showed him demographics of his current location versus this. I showed him the traffic counts of uh, cars and transit access at his current location versus this location and why this one was just so much better and brought him into the space, gave him my pitch, and he just said, wow. 
in, I can imagine that's kind of overwhelming. That's a lot of stuff that you did yeah, for this person. I, 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 don't, I don't know how to transition this smoothly. You are uh, newly engaged, and I'm just wondering if you yes. had the same strategy towards your wife-to-be that you said, listen, I've done the demographics work yeah. on what your options are here, yeah. and I fall perfectly in, in the middle. It, it's, uh, there's a little bit of that. You know, it has to be a little more uh, slow and drawn out. Like you know. one one graph at a day or and something. Like hints, you can't overwhelm you throw them. Throw out the hints and yeah, just kind of like, like just oh, this spreadsheet just facts. left it on the table. Whatever. Yeah. Oh, look at it. It, said it happens to be about you. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, um, so that's that's very direct engagement. Uh, I, I am curious. We did talk a little bit about parking, but uh, it is surprising to me how much parking sort of is an issue people talk about yes. all of the time. And I guess I, what is the one question, if you, had, if you could get people to stop asking one question about parking or get them to stop complaining about one particular thing, what would it be? I mean, I would just say the, the passive-aggressive stuff would be great if they had stopped doing that because there are, there are cases where folks will go out in the morning and they'll lay out cones <laughs> in the streets <laughs> In front of their homes, um, they will. Uh, there was a, a couple that ended up getting. They uh, got a disability loading zone, handicap loading zone, in front of their house, and now they park outside of that to take up more space, uh, so that others can't. There's people that will put up signs uh, in front of their homes. So you uh, wish people were more aggressive. Like, uh, they just stood out there, and they're like, come on, I park mean, in my spot. If, if you're going to be passive aggressive, you might as well go all the way. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, that's, uh, that's, that, but is that illegal? Just, I mean, not that I would ever do it, but if I had some cones in my trunk and I wanted to. Oh, yeah. It's, I could? No, I can, no, no. No, uh, yeah, I can't. No, okay, no. that's... Well, I'll do something. Uh, so anyway, uh, so you brought up data, uh, yes. data. I don't know what you prefer, data, data. I like data. Data. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and you've actually been very sort of proactive on this, and I am curious about. Uh, give us just a sense of sort of why we should even care. You know, a lot of people already just turned on their phones and are trying to figure out something else to do as we have this conversation about data. Okay. So why should we? Why should we care about city data? Well, I think city data is our data. And so it's all about uh, being transparent as a government, giving people access to information so it's easy to find. Otherwise, you uh, still have the ability to do what's called an open data request uh, or a data request. And you can ask and say, hey, I want this specific information. And then it'll get shuffled to the right department. And then you know, they'll get back to you. But why not just put it out there? We have it. And it's a way of uh, allowing the community to be proactive, to take it and actually be a partner with the city in trying to solve uh, city problems. So a good example is a lot of neighborhood associations. They do a lot of renter outreach because renters actually happen to be a group that are uh, less engaged in what the neighborhood association is doing. And therefore, they have less of a voice in shaping the community around them. And so now they're able to easily access that uh, renter permits, rental permits for properties, and directly go and do outreach to those properties and start engaging the renters. So that's very cool. Uh, so uh, let me turn your own question back on you, though. What is the – why shouldn't we want that data to be out there? Because it's not as though uh, this hasn't been proposed before, and, and it's mm -hmm. been slow to sort of roll out. So why, why is – what's the freaking holdup, I guess? Um, well, I think from a cultural standpoint, uh, in terms of departments, there's a – two things. One, this idea of, oh, it's going to take all this extra work to put it out there. 
which isn't really the case because it actually reduces a lot of the requests coming in. Um, but then the other piece, I think, is this sense of like, this is our data, our data. We own this data. Why would you want it? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to cause some harm? Are you going to embarrass the city? And I think uh, oftentimes departments have had a paradoxical relationship around open data with especially the media because so far all they've known is when a reporter says and does that data practice request and says, I want data on snow plowing. And then they turn around and write an article. Let's <clears throat> see, uh, Star Tribune reporter here. Uh, then they write an article on, uh, on you know, the fact that all the towing is happening on the north side when there's a snow emergency, but not really in southwest Minneapolis or south Minneapolis. Um, it's embarrassing to the city. Right? Makes so why, look why do you want so, to embarrass the city so much, council member? I mean, wasn't it better when we all just lived in some sort of dark ignorance of what's happening around us? I mean, we're Minnesotans. We don't like to talk about things that aren't going well. Yeah, and I think it, it, it changes, but it changes that relationship. So it, it's a game changer in that sense because um, it fosters more trust. If you're going to be open and accountable, um, then you also have to be willing to say, we're not perfect, we have room for improvement, we can make mistakes, and that's what this is really about. How can we constantly improve? How can we work together? How can we be open uh, about the work that we're doing? And so uh, tell us just a little bit your role, actually, as a city council member to make that. Do you, do you go in, do you hack into, like, public works, and you're like, ah, I've got it, and then you put it all up online, or is there some actual official channel? Late at night, yeah. a little bit of hacking. Um, besides that, uh, we're going to pass the open data policy, making Minneapolis the 16th city in the nation to have an open data policy. So we have a portal out there. The data is proactively put on by different departments. Also, even, like, simple things like um, getting the council videos up on YouTube. They used to be taken down every two, ap two weeks after they were posted. Um, so they'd only be up a short period of time. Now people can actually go back and look at them historically. Why? Was it in case like a council member changed their haircut, they didn't want you people know, to know? Or? or did something embarrassing maybe? I don't know. I'm and, not sure. Okay, but, that's interesting. But they're up forever now. Now they're up forever. So now you really have to think about what you say. And yes. you really... And people will go back and just have parties where they watch like 24 hours worth of council yeah, meetings. It's, there's, and then you, yep, drinking games and all and that stuff. Every time, every time Lisa Goodman yells, you, you take a drink. So I, would, I want to live, uh, so I won't. Um, uh, so, okay, I, I have two policy-type uh, things that I want to get. And I should say, we're in the second half of the show, we open it up to all of you for questions of our guests. Uh, so please start thinking about those. But the two policy things I definitely wanted to get to. Uh, uh, they're both serious, but we'll start with the first one because it's very hot in the news right now. And just last week we had uh, Nikema Levy-Pounds and Anthony Newby, and we talked a lot about Minneapolis Works. And uh, am I correct in that you were uh, you were definitely you were a supporter of uh, Minneapolis Works when it was first sort of brought around, and mm -hmm. and now it's now it's getting shelved to some degree, or at least put off for a year. So my big role uh, with Minneapolis Works has been around paid sick time. So uh, that's something I reached out to uh, Council Vice President Glidden, to the mayor back at the start of the year and said, hey, you know, we should do something on this because right now there's a lot of people without paid sick. I've got friends that work in the restaurant industry who've gone in sick with the flu, working over people's food, which that's is gross. terrible. Yeah. And restaurant owners do not want their employees coming in sick, right? But right now there's an economic incentive for people to come in sick because uh, especially when you're making minimum wage, being out for three days is the equivalent uh, in terms of pay of one month's worth of food. 
So people are going to do what they have to to survive, to feed their families, and a lot of them are just going to come in sick. Then they end up getting other employees sick. They end up prolonging their own illness and being less productive. So I thought, you know, this is one of those situations where if we strike a reasonable policy, we can have a win-win where both the employees can stay home and get better and the businesses overall can see less absences in the workplace. And we can have a healthier community. That sounds great. Why aren't we doing it uh, tomorrow then, though? Well... <laughs> So, uh, that's the complicated answer. Things take time. There's process down at City Hall, and Go there's a lot of pieces with it's it. It's the theater all of public right, policy. All right. so, like, what? If we're not going to get wonky, uh, I mean, so, basically what happened is it ended up, Earn Sick ended up getting sucked up into this working families agenda. And so it got placed next to wage theft and scheduling, and uh, it ended up becoming a part of a much larger effort and because it was a much larger effort to try to pass basically a package of things, it ended up requiring a lot more work, a lot more work in terms of planning, in terms of outreach, in terms of even drafting ordinance language. Then, of course, when it was released and when businesses started to see the proposals, a lot of them freaked out over scheduling. And that really sucked all the oxygen out of the room, took up the whole of the conversation. It was amazing because businesses would say, this scheduling thing's going to destroy my business. And I say, well, what about paid sickness? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, don't worry, that's fine. Um, and they would focus on the scheduling so much. And so once that ultimately was shelved, then uh, paid sick now is kind of the, the piece that we're running with. And um, there's still a lot of work to do around language, around business engagement, specifically making sure there's enough time for all the different uh, stakeholders, especially businesses large, small, to look at this and say, okay, how is this going to work for me? Do I have problems with this? Are there maybe unintended consequences? And then to really flush those out and work with us on that. So do we think then, or do we, do we think, uh, do you think that uh, paid sick leave will happen by the end of this year? Not the end of this year. I think it's probably going to happen. Uh, so we officially have a formal work group that's uh, working out the fine details of this and coming back to council at the end of February. And then they'll present the uh, recommendation to the council on the fine details of paid sick, and then we'll go to public hearing and have a vote. So I'm thinking by end of March. And so is the hope then to keep paid sick leave divorced in some ways from some of these other proposals so that it can pass on its own? It has formally legislatively been divorced, yes. And I think politically it's probably best to have it uh, as divorced as possible. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, before, uh, again, we'll ask uh, the audience for questions, but let's end with uh, talking about a winning one, which is uh, the death of styrofoam in the city of Minneapolis. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not allowed to use that. I, well, uh, uh, what? Uh, did you so, outlaw the use of the word styrofoam? Because no, that's, I've, I've that's got government a, overreach, sir. We got, we got a cease and desist letter from DuPont Chemical. Uh, we're not allowed to use the brand name styrofoam because oh. it is not actually the same thing as the containers, which are expanded polystyrene containers. So careful. <laughs> Careful. There might be a representative. They've been following me around, and they're, they're that keeping track. That would be amazing. Track. By the way, we are available so. to do shows about any kind of chemical products, uh, <laughs> if anyone wants hires. Yes. That's so biz they They were trying to protect uh, the image of styrofoam yeah. as this beautiful the, thing. That the positive image of styrofoam, so, so that consumers will keep flocking can to we, it. Uh, but we should back up. Without you, what am I supposed to say? Polystyrofoamoline? Expanded polystyrene containers. Expanded.
limited polystyrofoamal container. Anyway, uh, um, so uh, the we banned those. So the, they uh, we took them all and we burned them, well, and then we well, made a big exactly. fire. Not exactly. They were actually already banned. Uh, they were banned back that in the 90s. That makes it a very easy win. Uh, it was a great win. And see, now I get pigeonholed as the guy that banned styrofoam containers. They were already banned. We were just modernizing the language. I, uh, you know, That's the effort I wanted to undertake. Get them, you know, the, the ban enforced. Get the ordinance updated into modern language. And actually, under the ordinance, uh, even compostable containers were illegal. And so we wanted to legalize those. How can that be? You know, there's all sorts of crazy stuff. Like, were lettuce wraps illegal in the city of Minneapolis? Uh, very likely, yep, very likely. That seems so very unfair to rabbits. When you start digging into code, so I stay up late at night, I go through code. That's my thing, I guess I'm known for or whatever. And uh, it's so it's lucky that you are now engaged. Uh, I know, <laughs> she loves it. The glow of the computer screen, you know. Did late you at read night, this so. ordinance from 1964? Yeah. Yes, we go I did. over it. We go over this because it's, it's the uh, most hilarious stuff is in there. One of my favorites was um, it used to be that if you made bread with spoiled, terrible, you know, ingredients, right, they would confiscate the bread and they were actually under ordinance directed to give it to the homeless. Oh, no. Is that is that still on the books? No, no, we got rid of that. Okay. And it used to be before the charter. There's uh, so changes. many levels of sadness to that, but go on. There are. Well, before the uh, charter revisions, actually, the mayor was the city's official weed inspector. Why would you get rid of that? I want to see Betsy Hodges going like house to house yeah. looking for weeds in people's yeah. yards and with just a bottle of Roundup like on each holster. Yeah. So. And you stopped this? Well, that was before my time. That was uh, the language. You could put update. it back. I know we could. We're. We're thinking about it. What are you it. working on? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to ask him more questions in the second half, but can we do a big round of applause? I will run towards you with a microphone. So if you have a question for Councilmember Andrew Johnson, please raise your hand, and I will, well, okay, I'm going to go to this woman. What happened? It's your fault. <laughs> Um, no, what's something that you thought you were going to change going in and then you realized as soon as you started that there was absolutely no way it was going to happen? Mm. Wow. <laughs> <I'd> pass. <laughs> no, that's a, a great question. Um, I don't... can. Can we legitimately come back to that one? We can I come back to that? it. Is we're not okay? going to... Don't I let us finish the show. I think you stumped me. So because, is, I mean, right. it's not that everything is easily fixable. I'm assuming no. that's not the... It's that you're trying to choose the best one. Uh, so, yeah. okay, uh, other questions. Something that really he won't good. be able to pass on. Okay, fine. Oh. Uh, it seems like with 311 and the uh, reliance on data, which is probably a good thing, the city has like good data about where the problems are, but then there's also this issue. I was talking to some uh, predominantly immigrant crowd the other day, and none of them knew what 311 is. Does there end up being kind of a bias to the data if not enough people know kind of how to input the data from kind of a citizen perspective? And what can be done to ensure that more citizens, you know, like in all communities, know how to kind of contribute to that big city data set? Oh, that's a good question. A sociology so, data question. Love it. 
Well, so I think there's, uh, you know, on 301 specifically, in terms of uh, folks reaching out to that, certainly there's a lot of outreach uh, around 301 in general. But in terms of data, it's, I've heard this idea of, like, does it empower the nerds or the geeky people to have kind of an upper hand that others who don't know how to take the data and manipulate it and do something valuable with it uh, oh my God! That was your plan all along. So it, it, it's little revenge of the nerds kind of stuff. Going a little. On. You just said that you control the city through data, and you put all oh. of the power in the hands of nerds. Like yeah. we are, you're our overlord now. It's basically, I think, what you've been saying. It's just, we're just creating IT jobs. That's all we're doing. So you just got to pay a nerd if you want to. No, uh, I think though that the ability to take that data and then uh, consistently have people creating more and more tools to digest it and use it, and as well as improving upon the portal just to make it easier for folks to use is very helpful. It's not everything, though, because obviously some people still don't have internet, some people don't have computers, they don't have uh, solid digital literacy, so they don't know how to do those kind of things. Um, so it's constantly a battle trying to teach people how to use computers and use technology and how to better uh, interpret the data. But I think it's something that's going to take a long time. Oh, yeah. In terms of actually using 3 on one Right. Okay. So using 3 on one yeah, tons of outreach right now in terms of uh, different communities. We should, community. we, just in case folks don't know, in case there's anybody in the audience who falls into this trap that this gentleman in the audience has pointed out, uh, that they don't know what 3 one is or does, maybe we could just say quickly. Yeah, so 3 one is like your one-stop shop for the city. So you find a pothole, you call 3 one You have a rabid dog in the neighborhood, go lock your doors, lock yourself inside, then call 3 one um, and they'll come out. And Are those the it. two most common complaints? Well, and then parking. Parking. People parked in front of my house. What are you going to do about it? Uh, so three-on-one, though, one-stop shop for reaching out to the city. Uh, we've talked about doing everything uh, in terms of outreach. Even I, I was like, hey, come on over this weekend. We'll build a little uh, kind of like a lemonade-type stand, and then we'll have three-on-one across. We'll go put it at the light rail station. You can just sit there and help people. So, and I'm not joking about that. Like, that's an idea. Of that's very sweet. Doing outreach at transit stations and such, just trying to encourage people and kind of spark the idea of like, oh yeah, I gotta call that. That's cool. Okay, other questions, other hands. Uh, yes, right here. Do three one one employees get paid sick days? <laughs> yes. Good, because I don't want to call, have them sniffling, complaining. Good. Very good. Yes. That was very good. Uh, other other questions, other hands. Uh, I'm looking around, because otherwise we have to go back to the question that stumped him, which uh, seems okay. Right here. Uh, so, as a as a millennial, you're probably aware of the sort of millennial drain. Uh, Minnesota not keeping its millennials as they graduate from college, going to other states and cities, and we obviously lost out to St. Paul and the soccer stadium. What what other millennial retention things can Minneapolis do? What? I mean, after Ooh. that soccer stadium's gone, I mean, why should we even be here right now? I mean, basically. I <laughs> well, certainly all the breweries, that helps. Uh, Nightlife after a, 6 o'clock. I mean, things yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, I'd say even down to the simple, or the simple thing, but fiber optic internet, that's the thing I'm working on. I think that really helps attract people. 
very high speed, cheap, super reliable internet. Well, let uh, me let me. I, I think that there's a very serious question in this, though. Uh, so some folks might know. Uh, in 2013, we did a mayoral. Uh, debate as the theater of public policy. And one of the things we asked all the candidates for is, what's the sales pitch for the city of Minneapolis? Sort of what is it that mm. makes us stand out and is unique? And, and that, I think, is a very key part of the mayor's job. But I would think that there's some element of being an elected representative of the city oh, that yeah. also comes as part of that. So what's the sales pitch for the city of Minneapolis, not just against St. Paul or parts of Minnesota, but, I mean, nationally? I say the sales pitch is, look, we have an incredible city, this super connected in nature, whether it's the biggest river in the world or... Uh, I don't know if that's true, being, but go on. Uh, <laughs> all, the, all the great lakes, great parks, tons of jobs, super creative, lots of great education, cheap living, amazing places to go out, most theaters per capita outside of New York City, most parks per capita in the entire nation. It's just an incredible place all around, tons of sports, tons of things to do. Uh, and you know what? For winter, there's wool. You can layer. It's okay. You'll survive. Come to Minneapolis. You will survive. Uh, fantastic. Other questions? Other hands? Uh, I want to make sure that I've given everybody in the audience. Nope. Uh, uh, a chance. So, okay. Well, because I have other questions. That I, okay. Oh, well, we gotta, Brandon. Oh, we got to get back to that question, too. Oh, hi, Brandon. Okay, so, uh, I'll just take your seat there. I want to know how you... Um, work towards what seems to be a very fine line in advancing for or advocating for new developments, which inherently get more parking. Uh, so I, again, as Tane, I used to be a resident of the Longfellow neighborhood, and uh, when new businesses would pop up, it seems like that's when people got the most angry because, yes, there was a lot of commerce, but they were losing all of their parking spaces. And then when new buildings go up, that sometimes means old buildings have to go down, and they could be decrepit grain mills, but they could also be historical landmarks and treasures. And so how do you balance advocating for keeping everything the exact same like people want it, but also getting new people to come into the area? Mm. Did you vote for me? I did. Right. Oh, thank goodness. All right. I mean, I did a write-in. All right. Well, thank I voted you. So, for oh, so uh, look, we're lucky with Ward 12 because a lot of the development potential is along Highway 55, Hiawatha Avenue, uh, kind of an old uh, light industrial corridor. There's some grain elevators there. So when there's a lot of the bigger development, uh, it goes right along Hiawatha. And so you don't see a lot of development happening kind of jumping into the middle of the neighborhood where there's a bunch of single-family homes. So it's less controversial than in other parts of the city, like Uptown, for instance, where uh, in a lot of cases when you have like an apartment building going up, it's taking out homes in a neighborhood, and then people are upset about the balance changing, about the increased traffic. So it's, I actually feel pretty lucky in that sense. There's not a lot of controversy with that. Because uh, so, uh, I, I have a follow-up to this, is that uh, just over the last year, uh, we went to Washington, D.C., and then we've also been to Seattle, and those cities are changing so fast, and I think that there's, to some degree, been a knock against Minneapolis that we're not changing fast, that we're not growing fast enough, and that we're kind of dragging our heels towards... Uh, towards the next step. So I, I don't know. Do you see that? Do you wish that we were growing faster, or is it all right? 
I'm kind of torn on that because uh, obviously in Minnesota, we're growing faster than any other city. We've got billions of dollars of construction going on. Um, but compared to some cities like Seattle, which has this huge influx of cash, especially from Amazon and Microsoft and all these big companies out there, they're growing so fast it's hard to keep up. And it's actually pushing a lot of people out of the city because of the increase in uh, rental prices, things like that. San Francisco, great example of that, where they're having like a 300% increase on homes like one year to the next. Um, and so I think there's a lot of consequences with that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm just playing kind of devil's advocate here and just kind of explaining because then there's this other piece about Minneapolis's growth, which is that we are uh, the third most expensive construction uh, in the entire nation, just really? behind New York and Chicago. Why? Uh, the reason why is because we have so much going on, so much development. I mean, if you just think of uh, 5th Street downtown, actually 4th Street downtown, you've got a new stadium going up, you've got a new downtown park with an apartment building in front of it, you've got the two Wells Fargo Towers, you've got a new Excel uh, Energy Headquarters, you've got four Mark Luxury Apartment going up, you've got a building next to that going up, you've got the Nicollet Hotel Block, all on one street. So there is just tons and tons of development happening. Granted, most of it's downtown, some's in uptown, some's in dinky town, but uh, a ton of stuff is happening. And uh, that's good? That, that's good. It's, and, it is but good. It, that, is it good that it's all downtown, or do you, should it be more spread out? Um, I, you know, I think that's really a factor of the market. Right now, it's but only you're affordable. Went, you, you're the yeah, guy who yeah, picked up the phone and called people and said, come I, to I'm our, trying to get them like, there, yeah. Like, did you call the Vikings and you say, hey, build that stadium right here, like I, on I, Highway 55? No, 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 no. I tried with the soccer stadium. Totally different. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to um, say you're breaking some news here. You know, the Highway 55 is probably as good as uh, Midtown. or yeah, but, Midway. Uh, Midway, uh, Midway. But, um, no, I, you know, I think it's a factor of the market right now. My understanding is you can only really afford to build downtown if you're a big developer to do like a luxury apartment building or what have you because there's so much demand that it's sucked up all the labor pool and it's sucking up all the materials pool and driving the prices up for construction uh, costs. So I think once the stadium's done, once the Wells Fargo Towers are done, once some of these projects are done, then I think you see a flow of that uh, construction activity outwards. Hmm. And frankly, a strong downtown core is really, really important for Ward 12, for all the rest of the wards. So we like a strong downtown. A lot of stuff's going on down there. We've got new Southwest light rails coming in too, so we're gonna have three transit lines going, a fourth uh, soon after. And then you think about just in terms of time too, I mean, a decade ago, we didn't even have a grocery store downtown. Now we got Lund's, now we got Whole Foods, now we're gonna Trader Joe's. A lot of stuff's happening. You're talking a lot about downtown. Do you want a transit? Do you want a transit line in Ward 12? Can we, we have one. You have one. Uh, you have yeah. the blue line. Yeah, that's that's on the border, kind of. I no, mean, it no. runs right through the ward. We got the most stops of, the, of any other ward. Okay, very good. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, that's uh, good. Awesome. Good. Way to do we're, that. We're holding uh, it down. It's great. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, last question, and I, I wanted to ask this, which is uh, we started by talking about you got into politics uh, at 20 – well, even before that to some degree, but you got into city government, mm. uh, ran for it at 28. And uh, there is this millennial drain, and there are folks who talk about that uh, millennials aren't necessarily sort of getting involved in politics the same way that – uh, previous generations have, that it's seen as an ugly profession. So I guess I'm asking you, uh, if you were to give a message to folks who are young, should they? Sh is this a career that people should want to pursue, or is it at a point where you say, 
oh God, I've I've seen the promised land and it is a bleak, dark place where people just talk about parking, stay away. When you see how they make sausage, it is, oof. No, uh, I think that millennials are coming online. So you're the youngest, the oldest millennial, I think, is what, 33, 34 years old, something like that. The youngest is probably 16. And already millennials are the number one uh, consumer base. And so a lot of companies are looking at, oh, my gosh, they're spending all this money. How do we market to millennials? And you see millennials increasingly coming into the professional workforce and buying homes and all that. So I think it's inevitable. It's only, uh, you know, we're going to see more and more and more already across the state. We're seeing a lot of millennials. And, so, and in political office in particular? Yeah, yeah there's a whole bunch. They're, they've got that, what, uh, mayor who's now even the generation after millennials, like a no. four-year-old mayor in Minnesota. I that's can't believe not, it. Yes. Did you pass that law? No, that didn't. Because that doesn't and, seem no, legal. It's, um, it's crazy. There's an, they do an ice cream day. Free ice cream for all residents. <laughs> On that note, ladies and gentlemen, a tremendous round of applause for council member Andrew Johnson. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So we're going to take our seats in the audience. Thank you for listening. Our show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see us in person, you can find our schedule by going to www.t2p2.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks.